During the past several weeks, I have been seeking to establish the biblical teaching that God has left his imprint as a triune God upon each of the social institutions he has established, the home, government, and the family. He has left the imprint of his triune nature on these social institutions. And he has done so, I believe, because he has created man in his image and in his likeness. God is therefore glorified when this image is reflected back to him by the way man lives or conducts himself in the church, in the family, and in government. And when we live our lives according to his word, his triune nature is reflected back to him. Because we are created in his image, and he is only glorified when that nature is reflected back to him by the way we behave. Now, I want to illustrate this. I did it before last week, but I want to illustrate this again. Because this is an amazing biblical concept here. As we know, the triune God consists of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the triune God. Three distinct persons. Diversity, but yet one in essence. Unity. In other words... There is unity within the triune God. Because although there are three distinct persons, there is only one God. There are also roles, authority and submission. Those roles are a part of the nature of God. The triune God created man in his own image to reflect what he is like. Therefore, this concept of unity is in the concept of man within the church, within government, and within the family. He created the concepts of authority and submission. That is a part of the nature of God. And God is only glorified when those concepts are reflected back to him by those whom he has created. But there's another wonderful and amazing theological, spiritual, biblical concept that is mentioned here. This has to do with relationships. And this is an important truth we need to see here. There is one in that unity, oneness. There's two, that's intimacy. There's three, that's community. In other words, relationship is a part of the nature and essence of God. There has never been a time when God did not experience relationship. Because the Trinity is a triunity of divine relationships father son and holy spirit there's oneness unity there is intimacy and there is community within that and a point i want to mention here because this is an important concept this is a part of the nature of god god by nature is a god of relationships there's a relationship that is intimate and that is reflected in husband-wife as well, as, as we'll see in the church and in the home and so on. But it's also reflected in government. But that's another story here. Community is expressed when a broader uh, group of people are involved. 
But the point I want to get here, we'll be coming back to this, is the concept of relationship being a part of the nature and essence of God. And remember now, we are created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, the only way that we can truly experience why we're created is if we are experiencing relationship in our lives, in keeping with the Word of God. And we're going to see that's the reason why we go out of kilt in this area many times because of the entrance of sin. We're trying to meet these needs of relationships in a way that is contrary to the will of God. And so it is a, it is a false relationship that is experienced when done outside of the will of God and therefore God is not glorified. That's the point we want to make as we go along. But let's look at the family now. The family is designed to show this divine imprint. Unity, intimacy, community, roles. God has assigned the family to reflect this back to him in our relationships. But it also is true with the church. The church is designed to show what God is like. And the government, as I said, but that, we wouldn't go into that aspect of it. I just want to deal with these here to get this concept across to you. That there is a divine relationship that is a part of the nature of God. That he intends for those whom he has created to reflect back to him in the way that he has ordained. And that's the important point, the way he has ordained. You see, because of sin, remember we talked about the fall that came in. All of these concepts now are being trying to be achieved by man outside the will of God. And God is not glorified in that fashion. We may think he is because we're seeking to meet these needs. And we say these needs are given by God and therefore we, they must be met. And we try to meet them according to our own means. But God says, no, I'm only glorified when you meet those needs according to the way that I have, uh, I have given in my word. All right. Let's look at it from another perspective now. Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Family, Father, Mother, Children. Church, Jesus is the head. Pastors, the leaders, over the flock, members. Those are concepts. And you have these relationships, these relationship concepts, unity, intimacy, and community to be expressed across the board. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. There is a relationship there, there that is divinely imposed upon the human race and all of the social institutions as well. Now, the problem comes up with singles. I shouldn't say a problem comes up. That sounds too negative, all right? But the question comes up, how does single fit into here? Where and how does a single person fit into this biblical scenario? Where do the singles go to have their relational needs met? That's the question. Where do they go? I want you to think about that for a moment now. Where does a single fit into the biblical scenario when it comes to unity, oneness, intimacy, and community? Where do they go? Well, let's look at the single and the single again. 
Because this is the direction we'll be going for the next several sermons or messengers. The single and the single again. Laying a theological foundation. I'm building on a concept that we cannot live right unless we believe right. We cannot have orthopraxy, living right, unless we have orthodoxy, believing right. And believing right has to do with living a solid, a, by laying a solid biblical or theological foundation. So let's look at the single and the single again. Single persons now make up a distinct subculture within the Bahamas and Western civilization as a whole. A subculture of singles has come about. Now, this has not always been the case. I want you to follow me very carefully here now, because you're probably going to be hearing some things you don't hear too often. All right? But it's important to us getting the biblical perspective across. The experience and concept of singleness has been shaped by many factors. For instance, the size of the under 30 population, the prevalence of divorce, the increased acceptance of alternative lifestyles such as homosexuality and lesbianism, the influence of the, of, of the, the economy, and in the U.S., tax laws now affects the single person. It has also been affected by the women's liberation movement, feminism. That's just a few of the factors that has come in to create this subculture we call singles today. Single people constitute one of the major, if not largest, economic targets for businesses today. Advertising, the way people build homes, the way... Vacations are advertised. Some experiences of singleness are transitional. Some are moving toward either first marriage or a remarriage. Others may be or become more or less permanent, sometimes intentionally. Persons are single by choice, by change, by circumstances, or by calamity. Choice, change, circumstance, or calamity. Singleness can be experienced as loneliness, as solitude, as a friendship, a community, and even as family. Although that's becoming less and less rare, or more and more rare. Singleness, therefore, as a phenomenon of the 20th century, has been produced by the culture of the 20th century. I'm talking about singleness as a subculture now. Because although single people have already, has already I'm sorry, although single people have always, always existed, in fact, even from the creation of Adam, Adam was not created married. He was created a single person. But although this is true, single people have always existed. Singleness as a subculture and as defined by a unique alternative lifestyle, has never existed until the 20th century. Singleness as an alternative lifestyle has never existed until the 20th century. 
So in reality, subculture, singleness is a subculture that has been created by culture. And in particular, Western culture. And in more particular, the American culture. It's a creation. I'm talking about singleness as a subculture. is a creation of culture. The church, as always, for better or for worse, got caught up in this cultural shift in the early 70s. And so they started to hire single pastors. These are not pastors who are not married. These are pastors who pastor single people. Seminaries created special programs to train single pastors. Pastors who minister to single people. Never there before. Books on the special and unique needs of the members of this newly created subculture started to appear. An entirely new economic world came into existence in the early and late 70s. Condos, condominiums, apartments were built as single condos. Condos for singles. Programs were created specifically for singles. Vacation programs, loan programs, music for singles, worship for singles. All of a sudden, singles who thought they were quite happy in the family and the church were told that they were not happy, and they believed it. These God-designed institutions... The home and the church all of a sudden became enemy territory for the single. You're not supposed to be a part of it. Singles were being told now that they were third wheels. In any function for the family, because you're not a part of the family, you're single. And you know what? The singles started to believe it. And they became unhappy about their situation. And they start seeing themselves as third wheels in the church and in the family. And so the singles began looking for happiness, looking for fulfillment, looking for a way of meeting their relational need primarily where? among other singles. It's an amazing thing. They want intimacy. They want true relationship. They want community. So where do they look? To other singles who are looking for the same thing. Amazing. I believe that this is a fundamental error that singles make, trying to find relational needs, intimate needs created by God only. Now, I'm only saying only because I believe that the singles group can meet some needs, but not only. But when they begin to look for it only with singles, it's a fundamental error. Why? Because it's 
contrary to the way God has designed these intimate and community needs to be met. These relational needs to be met. I want you to notice, I said primarily, because I do in fact believe that some peripheral social needs can be met by singles meeting with singles. I believe that. But not the basic ones. In order for their relational needs to be met, they cannot be singles anymore. For instance, the intimate need. That has to do with marriage and relationship. That has to do with sex, meeting sexual needs and all of that. The only way they can be done, met according to the word of God is they don't be singles anymore, as they understand it. And that is true of all of the intimate needs. That's why I'm saying we have to have a radical shift of thinking when we come to thinking about the subculture we call singles today. Let's look at this diagram again. There's needs for unity for the singles. There's need for intimacy, there's community. So where do they go? The singles leave the family to go meet with other singles. The singles leave the church to go meet with other singles. What are they doing? They're going to meet with other people who have the same deficit as they have. Cannot be met in that fashion. Not all of their needs now. I'm talking about all of their needs. Some of them, of course, can be met. So where should they go? You see, here is the point. All of a sudden, the needs of singles begin to be unique to them. Now, follow me carefully. They have financial needs. So now, what the subculture is saying, in order for those financial needs to be met, they have to be met by coming up with a financial plan for singles. Why? As a married person, the same principles that I utilize to develop a financial plan can be developed by the single. Oh yeah, different circumstances as we'll see, but the same principles apply. But you see, there's a mentality now that's not true. And so if we have a financial seminar here, for everybody, the single feels left out because it's not for them. Now, of course, that happens sometimes with the married folk. When we have something for the singles, I'm not coming because it's only for the singles. The same kind of mentality. The sexual needs. The single comes up with the concept that our needs are different. How come? Just because you're single? The needs are not different. The needs are the same. And they are fulfilled in the same way. It is never right to fulfill a sexual need outside the will of God. That's true whether you're married or not. But there's this idea of uniqueness on the part of the single now has come about and has made it very difficult to minister to a single unless you can convince them that you believe they are unique.
But as we're going to see from scriptures, all of our needs are alike. And they all stem from the way we respond to the impact of the nature of God upon our lives. God has a basic process, fundamental means of meeting our needs, and that's true across the board. And he has provided the social institutions for that to be done so. Let's look at the categories for a moment for, um, for singles. I just want to show you uh, how we have to define singles now if they're going to be satisfied that we are caring for their needs. First of all, there's what I call the true single. These are those who've never been married. Now we could break it down a little bit more. Because some people say, yeah, I've never been married, but I fall into another bracket. I don't, I'm living at home. So my needs are unique. I'm a single, but I'm at home, so I'm unique. You've got to look at me as a single living at home. But the other person says, well, I'm single, but not, I'm not living at home. Now, you've got to look at me as unique as well. Yeah, I'm a single, but I'm not living at home. So you can't look at me at the same way as a single who's living at home. Now, we could break that down even further. And by the way, I'm doing this because this is what some single groups are demanding now that is done for them to be recognized as unique. We have those who live at home and not paying for their upkeep. They let the parents do it. We, some, we have some living at home who do pay for the upkeep. But now each one of them says, I am unique, I am different. And when you talk to me as a single, you have to talk to me as in my unique situation or else you're not showing compassion for my need and my situation. Then there's a single parent. They're those who are, these are those who are not married but have children. Now you can break them down further too. You can have those living at home and those not living at home. Now you can break them down further too. You can look, look at those who are paying for the children's upkeep and those who are not. Now here's the point. You could keep on breaking these things down in order to satisfy some singles because they realize that they, are, they want you to realize that their particular situation is unique. And unless you're recognizing that, you're not treating them as people. Then there's the, what do we call the estranged single. These are those who are married but are not separated. They are separated but not divorced. Now we could break them down further too. They have children. Some of them do not have children. You could break that group down further too. Some might be receiving child support. Some may not be receiving child support. Some might be receiving alimony, but not child support. And the point is, now I want you to see, all of these situations has to be recognized by you if you are appreciation to single. But let's go on. You have the divorced. These are those, of course, who are married, not separated, but divorced. Then you have those who are widowed. Now we could go on almost indefinitely. Breaking down the categories for singles. According to their needs. According to their need for 
relationships. We could go on and on and on. And the single culture, subculture, call these needs unique. It's amazing when you think about it. How unique is their uniqueness? Don't we all have those same needs? Yes, we do. Doesn't God have a way for us to meet those needs? Yes, he does. And as far as institutions are concerned, there are three primary social institutions. That's the family, the church, and government. And if operated properly, all of the basic needs of every individual, single or married, could be met. Now let's look at some myths and misconceptions. We're laying a foundation here. Tonight we'll go into more detail. And I really encourage you to come out tonight because we're going into Scripture and you're going to get some surprises as to what the Bible teaches about singleness. In fact, I was surprised when going through the Scriptures myself with it this week. But come out tonight. I challenge you to come out tonight and learn what the Scripture says about singleness. But here's some misconceptions. We've already mentioned, single state is always best. That's what some say. In other words, it's better than marriage. This is what some of the people in Corinth believe, by the way. There's another myth. It says that a single person is special and unique, different than the married person. That's what is emphasized. I am unique. I am different. Thirdly, a single person should be treated as a single person, not as a member of a family. Think that through now. They want to be treated as a single, not as a member of the family. That was not true before 1970s. Not true. They were quite content of being regarded as a part of the family. Now, that's the chatter we have in the world and in the church with regards to the single and the single again. Now, if you listen to all the noise in the market, in the market you could get a headache. Perhaps you can even go crazy. So now we want to go to the scriptures to begin our look at what the scripture says about the single person. The single person is abnormal. Why? Because they're not married. Now this is something here I believe that the people of God sin against a single person all the time. Especially the young ladies or the young men. You come up to see this handsome young man, you see this beautiful young lady. How old are you? 22. You ain't married yet? Boy, what's wrong with you? Are you trying to play God in that person's life? No, that's what you're doing. It's improper, it's wrong. I would even say it's sinful for us to encourage every young person that it's God's will for them to get married. That's just not so. We're going to see that as we go in our message. It's just not so. You see, but we cause a lot of the young people to feel guilty. And we drive them away from the church. That's why they go meet with other singles, because they always asking, why are you married yet? It's only when they come into the sanctuary and they come up to the saints, the godly ones. Boy, are you ain't married yet? Girl, what's wrong with you? We've got to stop that. That's wrong. It's sinful. 
it shouldn't be done. All right? But then there's another one. Sometimes it's taught that a single person should not be given a place of leadership in the church. That's nowhere taught in Scripture. That's not true at all. We've got to understand that. Now let's go to the book of Genesis. Yeah. Let's get some principles. We're just beginning this. We'll pick it up tonight and next time, Lord willing. Let's look at principles from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. When you go to chapter 2, verse 7, you find that God created Adam as a single man. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a single living being. Adam was created single. He wasn't created married. Now we're going to see here that he was destined to be married, but wasn't created married. And so we can say that the creation state, the original creation state, was a state of singleness. Now when God created Adam, God had a specific purpose in mind for Adam as a single. In verse 5 of chapter 2 it says, Now the shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. Now notice, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. That's amazing. Here's the first need mentioned in scripture. What is that need? For man to cultivate the ground. That's the first need. Verse 15 tells us how God met this need. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. God created Adam a single man. He created him with a purpose, purpose to do his will. <clears throat> that original will was to cultivate and keep the garden and to keep the garden. Notice first of all that the garden was Adam's home. So Adam was provided a home as a single man by God. That was a basic need. Who met it? God. God provided a home for the first single. He gave him a place to live. And then he gave him a job to do. Those are two basic needs that singles are always trying to meet. A place to live and a job to do. God provided both. But now what was this job? We don't have time to develop this as we should. This, this, this particular message, but we'll do it later on. The two words, cultivate and keep. Hebrew scholars tell us that the word cultivate is probably not the best translation for the original. Because cultivating speaks of tilling the ground. Well, Adam couldn't till the ground until after the fall. That wasn't necessary until after the fall. The word here, cultivate, actually means to serve. It's a word that later developed the word for worship. To serve God by worship. The word keep carries the same connotation. It's the same way that is used to keep the commandments of God. So we worship God by keeping his commandments. That's the idea. And so here is Adam as a single. His first major purpose in life. To serve God 
to worship God by serving him, by doing what he told him to do. That's how Adam found fulfillment as a single man. By doing that which, was, doing that which God purposed for him to do. And when he did it, he worshipped God. That's the concept. Adam as a single individual was to serve God. And in so doing, worshipped him by serving. But now something else here. Adam was created destined to marry. It says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now this is probably one of the most important verses on singles taught anywhere in Scripture. Right here. It is not good for the man to be alone. A couple of things you've got to notice here. This is an Adam's evaluation of the situation. This was God. Now take a moment to consider Adam. Single man. Living in this palatial home. The furnishings made all the beautiful trees you want. He had running water. All these rivers running all through the garden. Air condition, built in air condition, perfect environment. Perfect. You ain't got to worry about washing clothes. <laughs> he could sit under that coconut tree talking with God all day. Adam, as a single man, was a contented man. But then God comes in. And he said, it's not good. Now, this is the creator who says that he made man in his image and in his likeness. All of a sudden, now, here's Adam. Six times every day after he created, it is good, 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 it is good. Is that six? <laughs> then he comes up to this day six. And this is after he's created man. It is not good. Now think about this very carefully. What was God saying? Is that a qualitative statement? In other words, if I look at this thing and say, boy, look at that mahogany. That's not good mahogany. What would I be saying? Inferior. I'm talking about quality. Isn't that right? Now God looked at Adam. And he said, it's not good for man to believe. Was that a qualitative statement? If it was, then we have the saying that God created something that was not good. And God is the giver of only perfect gifts. Now, this is best seen as what is called an ethical or theological statement. I like to call it the divine pause. In other words, God is in the process of creating things. He created Adam, put him in the garden, and then he pauses to make a declaration. That declaration is to reveal something about his nature. It is not good for man to be alone. Why? 
Because I, as a triune God, has never been alone. It's not a reflection of who I am. It's not a reflection of my nature. I have always had relations with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Those relationships are always there. And so in the midst of this creation, he pauses to make a statement about himself. I've never been alone. Therefore, if man is going to reflect my nature, who I am, he cannot be alone. This has nothing to do with loneliness. Listen, friends, if you think that marriage is a solution to loneliness, think again. You got some of the most loneliest people who are married. It's not only the single person, mind you. He's not talking about loneliness here. He's talking about the idea of relationships and being alone. It's not a reflection of who God is. God is a God by nature of relationships. It is not good. Now, and then he goes on to create Eve. Now, some people have the idea that Adam was single for a long time. Now, now this may go into the, your idea of whether the earth was created in six days or those six days meant long periods of time. But let's say, for those of us who believe in the 24-hour day creation, God created Adam. And in the process of creation, he paused. He didn't stop. He paused to make a statement about himself. I cannot stop here because man doesn't reflect my nature. I will create what? A helpmate for him. This is beautiful. A helpmate. Adam needed someone just like him who would help him to worship God by serving him. So the first need that is met with the creation of Eve is not companionship. But the need of someone to help Adam to show what God is like by ruling over his creation. The companionship was complimentary. Came along with it. So this relationship then between Adam and Eve was a relationship that was to be focused on worshiping God by serving him. A couple, therefore, experiences the greatest fulfillment of what it means to be made in the image of God when they together are worshiping God by serving Him. That's the truth of this passage. It's filled with revelation about the nature of God. Adam was a satisfied single then because he experienced an intimate relationship with God. That's intimacy. A God who had always enjoyed an intimate relationship of his own as a member of the triune God. And God says now, that has to be fulfilled in man. 
God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Because I, was not, I have never experienced being alone as God. He wasn't finished with his creative work. He paused to make a declaration of his nature. A nature that was to be reflected in mankind. Now we're going to see the significance of this tonight and the next times we go through. But I'm trying to get it into your mind if I can, into your thinking. God is doing something wonderful in your life and in my life, whether we're single or whether we're married. What is that? He is working in and through us so that we could reflect his character back to him, whether we're married or whether we're single. But the only way we can do that is if our basic relational needs are met according to his word, his planning, and not according to ours. That's why we're going to focus on the fact that a single person, now listen to this and you come out tonight and we'll validate it from scripture, a single person can enjoy just as great a blessing as a married person having children. Did you get what I'm saying? A single person can experience just as great a blessing or even a greater one. That's where the question mark comes in. Than a married person or having children. The Bible teaches that. And we've got to get a hold of that. Because if do, it can revolutionize not only the single's life, but also the life of the married folk as well. And so tonight, we can talk about God's design for the single who is single indeed. Remember Paul talks about the widow who is a widow indeed? Because not all widows are widows, according to Paul. And not all singles are singles. We'll see that tonight when we come out. Um, let's bow a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Sometimes it's very difficult to put into words the wonder of your word, the concepts that you have concerning your relationship with us. And the fact that you would imprint upon us, your creation, what you are like. And you want us to reflect that back to you so you could be glorified. Lord, help us as single individuals and as married individuals to reflect your nature back to you. As we serve, as we worship you by doing what you tell us in the word of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. We're going to sing a song of consecration to the Lord. This song is one, a beautiful prayer, not only for singles, but for all of us. As we receive the benevolent offering.
Praise you, praise you, 
What a beautiful note to close this worship time with. And it's my prayer that the words of this song that we just got through singing will be your prayer. Dismiss us, Lord, with your blessing. In Jesus' name.